Man, what a blessing that is. Amen? I think one of the things that's evident and that we really love to talk about is that our goal with children's ministry here is not just to do uh, child care. Uh, It's to raise up worshipers to the living God. Amen? And they did that this morning. So uh, especially for you parents that I know had to get here early and uh, hang on all the way through another service, I'm thankful for that. Uh, We as a congregation are blessed to have your kids here. So what a gift. I'm going to uh, try to take a, uh, a hard right turn now into the end is near, all right? From beautiful children to end times apocalypse. Sometimes they go hand in hand if you're just looking at the average minivan. True? Yeah, I heard an amen over here, yeah. I don't know. It's possible for uh, us to live in both worlds. Thing I would uh, want you to remember as we're setting up. First of all, um, from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we have these little baby bottles that are hanging out here that uh, are just to collect your coins uh, for the Hope Pregnancy Center. Uh, This is a great gift to our community. Uh, What we do, we just pop some coins in there, and there was one season, I'm not sure what their current statistic is, where a third of their operating budget would be gathered in just coins coming out of couches during the course of this, all right? And we've said it uh, year after year. It's not a competition. Other churches in the area are doing it. Uh, But if it was a competition, we'd win, (laughs) all right? Here's the thing. I really want you to invest in these things. In our community, I don't want them just to hear our words preaching at them. We need to be there participating with them, amen? In every single opportunity that we can give. Uh, Also, uh, this week, we still have a few more of those. We're kind of wrapping up uh, the end of that, but you remember the widow's might. As uh, people are coming in, and it's possible that you're here this morning, um, and what you need is not to give to something. You need to be noticed. Remember, with the widow's might, the whole concern in the heart of Christ, I believe, is that somebody would come in to a religious service And all of the people around would be so focused on their finery, so focused on their location, so focused on what they were doing and their experience with God that they missed the person right next to them who was in the deepest need. She gives her might. She is going home, I believe, in that passage to die and wondering if anybody would notice while everyone around was talking about how godly they were. Let's not ever let that be us. Amen? Amen. You have an opportunity this morning, first of all, to look around. If the Lord prompts you to pray with somebody or to ask somebody about how they are doing this morning, do not let that opportunity pass. But if you're looking for a way to invest in our community, I think one of the greatest ways you can do that is to help the UGM. Uh, You can give just 25 bucks a month or whatever it is, and you can help them with their operating expenses. But we have many people here Good friends, family members, not just believers, but sold out believers that come through the New Life program that are an amazing part of our congregation. Um, We are blessed to have them, and that's a gift to us from our community through UGM uh, into our congregation. Invest in that if you think about it, if you feel so led. Uh, Finally, as we're transitioning, I I want you to know I, I will be sitting here this morning a little bit I am aware, some have pointed out, that I have stripy socks. 
That's all right. Just don't let it distract you in the, in the middle of the message. If you need to look, look now. Okay? It is not a Where's Waldo competition. I, I'm not even sure if it's a legitimate wardrobe choice, but it's what I had. So as long as we could get that out of the way. I would love to have no questions about that in between services. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, and we are back in our series on Luke. It's titled, The End is Near. That's not to be uh, overly dramatic. Christ is heading toward the cross. His men are asking questions. He's responding in time with those uh, questions. But these are key concerns. They are important. Um, they may, as we are going through this, uh, what typically happens is a, a ministry will come upon a, a, a passage that covers the end times, and they will pause the entire series and jam a whole bunch of other passages into that series. We're not going to do that. We're going to unpack what is in the book of Luke. Christ goes through and he shares certain statements in the book of Luke uh, that Luke says these were significant to us. Okay? These were important, and I believe it's because of the near events that were about to happen uh, as Luke is writing this gospel. Uh, if you have more questions, we have some books that are available, 101 uh, answers. We'll just show you where to get these. You can get any of these on Amazon, but we can give you some recommendations of where you can get those questions answered. You can go to a website. Uh, one good one that's out there is Got Questions, where they walk through actually these specific passages. Uh, that we're in and help you highlight those and make connections with other places where you can get further reading. What I'd like you to do during this next four weeks with me, though, is open up four different boxes, all right? I want us to begin to sort, even in this passage, some prophetic statements, but I want you to see during this four weeks that this isn't something that only a theologian can do. This is something, it's written in plain language in the Scripture, that if you will just take the time, you can begin to unpack, as Christ makes statements about what's about to happen, you can unpack the different seasons he's talking about, where he is looking, and what he is trying to have his men understand. To help us do that a little bit, we have some original artwork. You see this up on the stage, on your notes. It's actually a half sheet here. It says, The Great uh, Persecution. Um, but in your notes, you actually see this artwork here. One, one of our own high schoolers, uh, Drew Knox, actually created the artwork for this series. So uh, if you see him, hug him. All right? This is amazing. The goal is not for you to, put, to get all of your thinking off of this picture. This is what I want you to do. This is on the front of a box, and we're going to put some ideas in this box that we can then continue to sort further. But I want, I want you to see that Christ actually starts to, with his words, put stuff in certain categories, and this is just going to help us put some things in a box, and when you hear some of these terms in other passages, go to that box, pull it out, and say, is this the same or different, all right? We're right back in, in kindergarten, which one of these is not like the other, okay? So our box for this morning, we're looking at the persecution and turbulent times in the book of Luke. CNN this last week had a, uh, one of their authors um, write an opinion piece. Uh, her name was Diane Butler Bass, DBB, writing for CNN on the END. <laughs> Is this the end? 
The thing that prompted her discussion was she said, you know what, there's a bunch of evangelicals in our nation, and they think that Jerusalem isn't just a political choice. They actually think it's a prophetic choice. She says, they're crazy. She then goes on to say, when I was a little girl, we were raised in a fundamental church where they actually believed that the Bible was God's Word. And you can almost hear the boo and hiss at CNN, can't you? Now, if you like CNN, I'm sorry. That's how it's written. She's looking at it saying, this is ridiculous. These people actually exist. And this is what she said. They actually believe because the Bible says that Jerusalem won't change its name, whereas all of the other significant cities uh, in world history have had multiple name changes. Jerusalem has stayed Jerusalem. And they actually believe that Jerusalem is going to become super important. They actually believe that there's going to be a war over who gets to occupy Jerusalem. And that the war is going to be between what we now call uh, the Arabs and the Jews. They actually believe that you have people like Gog and Magog, Russia, coming down and joining with one side and impacting that. They actually believe all of these literal things are going to come true. And in essence, in the article, she says, yeah, I don't see it. In the middle of a week where Jerusalem becomes the center, there's a fight over what's going on on one half or the other. And all of these, the only reason her article's being read is because it seems to fit with Scripture. How can you say, I don't get it, I don't believe it? Here's what I want you to understand. The world is consistently seeing Scripture, watching indications that Scripture might be onto something, and saying, I don't get it. But the only reason they're seeing it and having to do business with it is it makes so much sense. The only reason you would say, I don't believe it, or I don't want it, is you don't want the God of the Bible to be the God of your life. That's it. You know, three times since December, major news uh, agencies have put out a title to an article that says this, is this the end of the world? You do a search on is this the end of the world, you're going to find three or four major uh, articles based on cataclysms and things that are going on in our world. There is a question that is out there right now with all of the turbulence, all of the chaos, the move to Jerusalem. It's not just in the United States, around the world. The question is being asked, is this the sign of the end? Do you know that Jesus's men were asking the same question? They were saying as he was looking around and he was talking about what's going to come, and they're saying, but we seem to be in a reasonable, a reasonable era. Look at how beautiful the temple is. Look how free we are to worship. Look at this. This is a comfortable time. He says there's going to be a day when that all falls apart. And that starts the discussion. When is the end near? We have a goal uh, with this series. Uh, and this morning, uh, what I wanted to do was not just to go into a deep dive and uh, blow our brains, okay? I, I really do want us to be overwhelmed as we take a look at it and say, this is amazing, but I want to come down to a single point. So we're going to give some rules this morning for how you look at prophetic passages. We're going to take a look at two seasons Christ talks about in here and show you that you can figure out what seasons he's talking about, and then we're going to have a principle that should guide our life no matter what's going on. Are you ready for that? Okay. Luke chapter 21, starting with verse 5. Let's stand and read this passage together. 
Luke chapter 21, it says, And while some were talking about the temple, and that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? What will be the sign that these things are about to take place? He said, See to it that you're not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, don't be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Do you know that's in the scripture? Then he continued to say to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. They'll persecute you, delivering you to synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It'll lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist and refute. But if, but you will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name. Two keys. Yet not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance you will gain your lives. Do you believe that's important to understand? Yeah. You may be seated. Father, as we pay attention to this passage this morning, I pray that you would help us uh, to wrap our minds around it, that you would give us insight into these words. Fill us up, not just with knowledge, but, Father, with a passion to live rightly before you. Help us to be excited to see the day coming rather than fearful. Father, help us to be able to see that you're causing all of these things to fall into place at just the right time, proving that you are God and we need to follow. Help us to trust it in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of key things that I think are really important when you're looking at prophetic literature and that we talk about um, on a regular basis here at Salem Heights. These things will help guide you as you are looking at literature that uh, Christ is speaking that clearly is not talking about his time immediately, but into the future. So when it's prophecy, there's a couple of keys that you need to have with you. The first one is this, literal is best. When you are reading these words, don't automatically look for metaphors uh, or metaphorical application or an allegorical application. Look and see if it's possible, if the, the literal reading of that, in other words, if you just read it and the plain sense makes sense, keep it. Note when you are reading that, the verbs, I, I learned something when I was a kid about be verbs, do you remember these? Is, be, am, are, was, were, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, can, could, shall, should, will, would, may, might, must, all right? That's the only thing I learned in seventh grade. <laughs> be verbs, they're going to tell you about that state of being, they're going to tell you about um, what is going on in there, if you find those be verbs, notice the pronouns. Uh, you is different than they is different than me, right? 
So if he says you are going to go through something, you particular, singular, talking to an individual, that's pretty current. But if he's talking about they, he's talking about something that is a separate group, and it could be future. And you will notice this happening in the middle of a prophetic passage. He will say, you are doing this, you are doing this, all of a sudden, and then they, and he'll switch, and it goes to the future. We can't get frustrated with that. That is a common way that they spoke even in the day. You just got to keep up. If you get frustrated, by the way, that he does not talk like a, an American speaking English in 2018, uh, you haven't read outside the, you know, your comic book genre, all right? You got to stay up with it. Don't get frustrated that they're not thinking like you, saying this is better. We can't go back and chastise them. That's years ago. You have to get into that mindset. Literal is best. Um, prophecy has a near and far perspective. We're going to look at this more intently next week. But many times, prophetically, you will have a city like Jerusalem, and it has importance in different eras. It will have importance here, then importance here, then importance there. Uh, you have to make sure that you are looking at what is going around that discussion and say, okay, what era is this going to fall in? It's not complicated. It is important, uh, is being a verb. Finally, Jesus taught us how to do this. In Luke chapter 20, right before you go into Luke chapter 21, and it all of a sudden becomes very important that you look at Scripture a particular way, Jesus, in Luke chapter 20, actually shows us how we are to look at Scripture. I want you just to circle a couple of verses. Uh, chapter 20, verse 17. Verse 17, it says, But uh, Jesus looked at them and said, what is this then that is written, the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone, and he begins to unpack that. Jesus gives them a scripture lesson, all right, on how to study scripture by looking at a theme. Look at this theme, the stone. How, how can you impact, be impacted by a word study on the theme of the stone, this chief cornerstone? What is he talking about? Notice also in verse 37 and 38, it says... Uh, that the dead are raised, um, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and of Isaac and uh, the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but is the God of the living, for all live to him. God is the God of the living. Uh, he's doing a study on a verb. And in verse 42... For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Clearly understood in that day to be a messianic passage. How is it, he says, David calls him Lord, and how is he his son? So speaking about the Messiah, who they knew was going to be the son of David, but David calls him Lord, Jesus says, just stop for a minute, don't blow by that. How is it that the Messiah, who is the son of David, is also Lord? Something unique about this guy that is not just a normal man in the lineage of a king. He says, I want you to go through Scripture and don't just blow through it for a devotional thought that will make you happy on the way so that you don't get angry in your car on the freeway, right? It's, scripture will settle you. Scripture will change your experience. But it's not just for our happy thoughts. He has intentional things. He wants you to learn these deep things so that you know his heart. He's bringing you up to the 30,000-foot level, and the benefit is this. You no longer sit there every single day just focused on you. 
you begin to see that there is a great God guiding the entire universe in control of every single thing, and you're a part of a greater story. Amen? So he pulls you up and he says, I want you to know there's greater things than your life that are happening. You are important, but let me show you these grand themes. We're going to touch on that this morning. So now, we're going to take a look at these uh, two seasons and a principle, all right? First thing that we notice, Luke chapter 21, um, verse 10, and then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines, there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. He indicates in this passage that the world's disturbances will increase. The world's disturbances will increase. I shouldn't have to make this case, okay? But do you know that the world's disturbances are increasing? Can you feel that? That's not just, as some people have said, because newspapers have turned into, you know, quick reports on a computer and we can hear what's going on in the world more, more quickly. I'm going to say that the violence and intensity of all the actions that we are seeing are higher now and more intense now than ever before. It's a verifiable fact. We're going to experience wars. Did you know that there is fighting in Syria? Is anyone aware of that? How could you miss that there is a battle going on in the Middle East, that there are wars that are being fought, and that there are changing political alliances? In fact, the alliances that are highlighted in Scripture are starting to come together where these groups are saying, in order for me to have peace, not just in the Middle East, but in my region, I'm going to start grouping with different people. Different nations are starting to join together, and wars are being fought with multiple flags that we never thought would be found together. There's going to be wars. That's disturbing. But it doesn't just say that nation will rise against nation. It says, and kingdom against kingdom. It's not just, a, by the way, that a kingdom is an area where a king rules, where you have a specific leader, but a kingdom, Basileia, also can be used of a, a realm of uh, rulership. In other words, you're going to have authority over a group of people, and it may cross national boundaries. Do you know that Facebook and Amazon have power that goes beyond national boundaries? Amazon, what is it, $100 billion a year that they're pulling in? Gross national product of most of the countries in all of Africa is not that large. They impact Africa. They impact. Facebook impacts all around the world. There's a battle going on between two different kingdoms. You have uh, an agenda uh, with, uh, in certain political groups that says, hey, you need to assign your money to the things we say is important or else you're not politically correct. There's an area, a kingdom there, that says if you don't bow to this, we'll get you. But on the other side is somebody who's been a part of that kingdom, who has helped support those values, who has lifted up those things, but now says I make $100 billion a year. And you want to tax me just because I have a lot of money? I used to be for that. Now that I have it, I'm against it. That's what they're saying. So I don't want you to take a billion dollars of mine to invest in the homeless situation in Seattle, which is their own backyard. Amazon is in a battle with, that, uh, with the political groups. Kingdom against kingdom. And they're angry about being taxed. Why don't we tax this group or another group? Why don't you have other people go in there? Why are you forcing me to pay for things without having a right to say where it goes. 
It's not just those two kingdoms. Do you know that we have people pulling at us every single week, even as believers, to say, join my sphere of influence so that we have a greater voice. And it may sound good to you at different seasons for a moment, but those kingdoms are being built precisely to fulfill these prophecies, that kingdom will rise up against kingdom, and all of this adds to the turmoil rather than settling it. It's not just these physical things that men create. What about earthquakes? Do you know we have people that attend this church uh, that are, have family in danger, jeopardized by what's going on in Hawaii, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, homes that are in jeopardy? Great signs from heaven. Just a short while ago, 2013, there was a meteor that came across uh, Russia where they actually thought it was uh, an attack from the United States. This thing is going to explode. It's white hot. This looks scary to us until they found out that it was uh, a meteor or an asteroid that had come in. Uh, do you know that just recently NASA has found 16,000 asteroids near the Earth that could impact the Earth? Don't panic. Last week it was germs, this week it's asteroids. It's something. Okay? You're going to be all right. You're going to have all of these wars. People will come in my name, verse 8 says, saying, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. Specific phrasing. By the way, this phrase is what separated the Christians from a revolt that would happen in 132 AD. Just a short while after the temple is destroyed, a man by the name of Simon Barkochba rises up. He named himself Barkochba, which means uh, that he actually was the son of a star. He was trying to fulfill the prophecy of Numbers 14 that had been attributed to Christ. I am the Messiah, he says. He got 200,000 people to sign up for his army. He actually required the men in order to prove that they actually were following him to cut off one of the fingers on their hand. He wanted to be violent, and he wanted violence against Rome. Ultimately, that rebellion would fail. The rebellion was useless. 200,000 people would die. Almost a million, ultimately, in the revolt that it led to were killed by Rome. Rome puts down that. It turns out that he was not the Messiah. But do you know that during the entire time that the Bar Kochba revolution was happening, as they were having that group of people rise up, Christians were being persecuted not just by Rome, but by their own people for not joining. And they were saying, the reason that I will not join is Jesus said, people like you would come. People said not to follow you. He told me you were coming and not to be a part of it. It's not going to turn out well. And it turns out they were right. By listening to prophetic statements from Christ, they stayed safe. Key phrase in that is see to it that you are not misled. And the end doesn't follow immediately after these. You're going to have all of these signs. They're even going to happen in these near moments, but the end doesn't follow immediately after that. He says there's other signs that are signs of the end. These things are just going to happen. It's going to be a part of what's happening uh, in the culture. A mental note that I think is helpful for this, uh, Jan Markell of Olive Tree Ministries says it this way, when you see all of these signs, realize that things are not falling apart, they are falling into place. They're not falling apart, they're falling into place. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad in the springtime uh, would get out, it was at the beginning, an old Bolin's tractor, I don't know if everybody remembers Bolin's. 
Uh, eventually it turned into a John Deere, and he always had this implement that you would attach to the back of the tractor that told us it was spring. Uh, it was a belt-driven uh, rototiller. You guys remember those? And especially on uh, the old uh, tractors where they tend to spew a lot of oil, it was a belt-driven rototiller, and with a little oil on that, you could make quite a racket, okay? You get ready to engage that belt, and all of a sudden, it is squealing and howling and smoking and rattling because all that stuff with the dirt, and you know, always put it away messed up. So it takes a little while to shake off all of the mess. Just the engine that it, that it is turning it and all of the way that that was disturbing the air before it even hit the soil. It was noise. It sounded like the tractor was about to explode. That rototiller would get uh, turning and it would hit the soil and it would churn up all of that soil. It would prepare it for planting. As you begin to hear these different statements and you're wondering why in the world would God allow that, uh, there's an observation we have to make. Uh, the machinery might make a lot of racket, but you can't have a harvest without it. All right? The machinery might make a lot of racket, but you can't have a harvest without it. Every single time that you see these disturbances, even the world, instead of looking around at the disturbance, they're looking up. Is this the end? Even unbelievers. It is a mechanism that the living God can use to say, I'm still here. I've still told truth. I still have something to say. Will you follow me? If we were just going easy, if every day was smooth, the world would never look to him. Is that true? They look to him because of the turbulence. I want to hit this very quickly. Second thing that Christ says. Are we doing okay? Can you see that in there, by the way? It doesn't seem too complicated. But I want you to notice this phrase in verse 12. It says, but before all these things. That seems like a phrase you should underline if you're trying to figure out what's going on in the passage. There's a group of things that are happening. Put those in a box. But before all these things. Okay, so there's a separate era he's talking about here. Before all those things, something is going to happen. What is it that he describes? They will lay their hands on, pronoun here, you. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples. They will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you, delivering you to synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. And it'll lead to an opportunity. Can you imagine that? Hey, it's going to get really horrible. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> this is going to be great. I want you to notice the intensity, first of all. Before all these things, they'll lay their hands on you. They will persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. Delivering you to a synagogue doesn't mean you get to show up at church. It means that all the people there that had ill will towards you would have freedom to do whatever they want. You know what? We'll just put them on your doorstep. bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. So make up your mind not to prepare beforehand. I'll give you an utterance, but you will be betrayed even by your parents, even by your brothers, your relatives, your friends, and they will put some of you to death. There was an article a little while ago that came out about how the apostles had actually died I won't go into any details, but I want you to understand that every single one of them experienced at the very least conflict. Uh, most of them had a death that was verified by the world around.
I'm going to switch here. Are we okay? Yeah. I, I told somebody this morning, you know, this week, uh, building into this morning, uh, has been so filled with chaos that somebody doesn't want me to preach. I just hope it's not God. <laughs> Back to the page. What are some of the things that the apostles would face? Peter and Paul. Um, Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I, I don't feel like I'm worthy to be killed the same way as my Savior. Andrew, uh, in Turkey and Greece, he would go to share the gospel and he was crucified. Thomas, pledging that the living God loved them no matter what they do, he was still pledging that love and proclaiming the gospel as soldiers multiple times ran him through with spears. Philip, he had converted the wife of a Roman proconsul, and in retaliation, the proconsul had him killed. Matthew uh, died in Ethiopia. Bartholomew um, went to India with Thomas and died there. James, um, if you look at the story of the death of James, uh, it's an important one. Um, they actually were so bothered by the gospel and the fact that it was so influencing the people around that they killed him like two or three times. He was already dead, but they just weren't done. They were that angry over the gospel. Simon the Zealot refused to worship the sun god as he was in another place proclaiming the gospel. They ended his life. Matthias, um, he was in Syria with Andrew. Uh, they were burned to death. John's the only one that lived... Uh, to give us the book of Revelation. Lived to an old age to die naturally. All of them would experience persecution. Christ told them this is exactly what would happen, and he was telling the truth. It actually says, as you're getting ready to face these things, don't make up uh, a story at the beginning. You let me guide in the middle of that, and I will help you to say just the right thing. And God did. Those stories are recorded for us, either in church history, as people say these are the things that they said, or in the scriptures as we hear the testimony of their life. But God, in the very moment of persecution, shows up and guides them into what exactly they should say. The key phrase here is before all these things, before what we're going through, the apostles would experience this. Why was that important to Jesus? Because I believe that the apostles set a pattern for persecution. They give us a pattern for how to face it. And in the future, when there is another great persecution, Daniel 9 calls it the 70th week. Jeremiah chapter 30 calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Revelation calls it the time of tribulation. There is a season coming where once again tribulation will be on the earth as significant as in the days of the apostles. We see a pattern for how to face that in the apostles. Christ said, you're my closest men. You've seen my face. You've heard my heart. You're going to show the world how to do this. The persecution would be intense. There's two seasons there. I'm going to ask you on your own to go back and be able to study that and say, do I see two separate seasons there? I think it's evident to Jesus, but now the principle to help us on the way out. A key principle in all of this, and it could be intense. Are you guys doing okay? Yeah? It could be intense. 
But here's the, the key governing principle. Our sovereign God is intimately involved. Amen? He has not lost control for a moment. In fact, uh, it actually makes a statement here in verse 18, yet not a hair of your head will perish. Well, how is that possible if they die? What God's saying is not that you won't die. He's saying that even your hairs are numbered, and I know exactly where you are and how you are put together in every single season. I have not let go. I am in full control. He is in absolute control. Do you believe that? If he is not in control, then all of this chaos could get out of control. God could be off of the stage and something else could take over. That's just not possible. God says, I'm not only sovereign and the living God, I know where you are personally. I know the individuals that love me, not just a collective group. In fact, he makes a statement, by endurance you will gain your lives. I want to be careful to just really uh, unpack this for you as we get ready to take off. The, the common understanding uh, in some places is that he's talking about salvation. Two different ways that people have understood this, I believe mistakenly. First is that it's talking about salvation. Uh, in other words, if you stay strong, you'll be saved. Do you believe that that's taught in the rest of Scripture? No, if you do, I'd love to talk with you afterwards, but I will tell you this. Once you're saved, you're always saved. God doesn't uh, get rid of his children. He reserves the right, in fact, to chastise them so that they'll get their head right. He says, hey, I'm going to get you into the fold one way or another. I'm going to make sure that you understand these things. But it's not having to do with how strong you are. In other words, there's no super Christians. Oh, man, he can lift a lot of persecution. He can deal with a lot of things. Some people have understood that to say salvation. If you stay strong, you'll be saved. No, the only one strong in the Christian faith is Jesus. You cling to him, he'll see you through. A second way that had to do with salvation, though, that was understood for a period of time, was that if you go through persecution, then you're automatically saved. So you can go through life, but if you go through persecution, then you get heaven. It's kind of a Middle Eastern way of understanding that. In fact, some of the martyrs uh, in the early uh, church actually mistakenly understood this to be true. Hey, if I just go through persecution, I'm automatically saved. So they would look for an opportunity to be persecuted to guarantee that they would be in heaven. Persecution's not a guarantee of being in heaven. It's a guarantee that they don't like your message. All right? It's not about salvation or having to hunt for persecution. If you're saying that you have to go through hardship in order to be saved, you will create hardship wherever you go, right, to hopefully get saved. That's not the kind of person God wants to create. In fact, what I believe is going on here is an idiom, all right? And the idea is that this will lead to great reward. We have uh, idioms that come up in all kinds of cultures. In Poland, when you want to distance yourself from a situation, uh, you will look at everyone and you'll say, that's not my circus and those are not my monkeys. All right? If you're in Germany and you're talking about the inevitability of death, they say, only the sausage has two ends. <laughs> when it's really raining hard in places in Africa, they say, it's old women with clubs out there. Stay in the hut. Not kidding. Don't be offended if you're an old woman and you have a club this morning, okay? That's their phrase instead of cats and dogs. 
What is he saying here? By your endurance, you will gain your lives. He is saying that there is glory here. As you go through these things, it's not just all dark days and nastiness, but you will never be forgotten. You go through these things. I'm not only paying attention, but this is going on the eternal registry. I am going to make sure that everybody knows. Great glory assigned. These are things that those that are faithful to me can endure. By endurance, you'll gain your lives. You know, there was a season in our own United States where uh, people would seek for glory. Uh, The Pony Express actually had a a poster that they had put up. On there, wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk death daily. Orphans preferred. That's a sign-up, huh? They would get paid well. But do you know that the the people that would ride for the Pony Express, it only existed for a year and a half. And yet, instead of just kind of being one of those failed um, entrepreneurial attempts that happened in the West, it has become storied as a part of our history. We can remember the Pony Express. There was a famous guy who was named Pony Bob. Pony Bob back in the day, was known as uh, surviving a a test of endurance. 380 miles Pony Bob Road. He got, at the very beginning, he was supposed to only ride 24 miles. He gets to that first place every 24 miles, or or actually sooner, they would change these horses. They would jump off of one horse and onto the next, grab the bags of mail, and they would take off as fast as they could go. They would go from station to station to station, and they would have riders that were supposed to switch on. Well, he gets through 24 miles of this, and at the station, the guy sitting there that's supposed to take his horse and the the bags looks at him and says there's Indians out there man this is crazy Pony Bob says well I'll go the next one he goes and sure enough you get to the next station the station had been burned by Paiute Indians so he keeps on riding he gets to the next station and the next one and everyone was so fearful that only Pony Bob would keep riding he gets the mail all the way through where it's going and then he says I've got to go home they said well we don't have a rider for the morning you were too fast Will you take the first leg? He gets on the first leg, but then the same story. He's like, oh, wait a minute. All these guys aren't here. He rode 380 miles in 40 hours, taking the mail all the way, one direction, and the mail all the way back. Pony Bob. Everybody knew his name. Wild Bill wanted to be. He eventually signed on to work for the same men that had created the Pony Express. He just wanted the glory that went with riding. The hours are hard. The ride is intense. The Indians are dangerous. But if you live, you'll be famous. By endurance, you will gain your lives. We need to have a mental note with this one, too. Our attitude guides our actions and our anticipation. Christ gets to the end of this very first section, and he looks at those people, and he says, I want you to think this through. Yes, There's all this disturbance that's going to happen. Before that happens, you personally are going to get attacked. But I want you to wrap your minds around this. I have never, ever let go of you. I know who you are. I know what you're going through. And trust me, I know how this is necessary to set up the next stage of history. If it wasn't, we'd erase it all. He says, I'm in full control. And not only do I love you with an everlasting love, I have control of your life in such a way that when you get through and endure this, the glory that resounds because of you following me, it's going to last into eternity. 
It's a great gift, not a great horror. There were two men, the story goes, that uh, were looking for a bounty, $5,000 a wolf uh, in the Midwest during that same season. Wolves were coming in and impacting those people that were settling into the region. And so these two men decided, man, we're not making any money any other way. Let's go out and see if we can find wolves. And after three days, they're exhausted. They haven't seen even one wolf. Bedding down for the night, they lay down. They uh, get up uh, the next morning, and uh, Jeb and Sam are uh, laying there. Uh, take a look around their fire, and in the middle of the night, Jeb wakes up, and he sees all these beady, angry eyes. There's 50 wolves that are sitting there. And he rolls over, and he says, Sam, wake up. We're going to be rich. <laughs> Is that what you would have thought? Beady, angry eyes, the attitude was everything in that moment. There's going to be disturbances. There's going to be wars. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be people who say that they don't believe any of this stuff. They're going to ignore all of history. They're going to ignore what Scripture says. They're going to twist all of these things. And in the end, Scripture says, believer, you're going to be rich. Do you believe him? Is your attitude and your anticipation set on what Christ says or what the world is selling? He says you keep your eyes on him. I want to give you an assignment this week. Um, in your notes there, there is uh, a little timeline and just some phrases. I want you to read Luke chapter 21. And, and I've even added uh, some phrases in there, which kind of does uh, some of the work for you. But... We have the time of the Gentiles, growing disturbances, the temple destruction, apostolic persecution, and the return of Christ. That should be in your notes somewhere. Does anyone have those? Well, you don't get those this week. <laughs> Next week, we'll start that. Here's what I want you to do. It's going to look a lot like this, and it's awesome. Here's what I would have you do. Because I don't want you to be afraid when Christ starts talking in prophetic language, all right? He's talking about our time. He's talking about stuff in the near future, things that will soon happen. Do you believe that? It's worth it to read it. Don't sit there afraid. Just start to read and begin on your own to say, if I was making a little timeline out of Luke, what would it look like? What does it seem he's saying? And what I'm going to say is you get together with a couple of friends and walk through those passages, it's going to be very easy for you to find out what he is trying to speak about, all right? Do not be afraid of Scripture. Study it, and it will cause you to have a great hope. That's the promise. Amen? Let's go with that in mind. Father, we ask that you would help us. In these days where we do see the disturbances all around us and where we have seen a great persecution, Father, we're aware of what happened with the apostles. And for many of us, those kind of things are unnerving. Uh, they may be overwhelming for us to think about. Father, I pray that instead of being fearful, we'd be filled with hope because we know that you are a God that is fully in control. Help us to trust you. Help us to rest in your words. Most of all, help us to know that you have not lost one hair on our heads. Father, you love us. Uh, your desire is for us to be aware because you keep your kids informed. Help us to trust that and to live with anticipation. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm.